Hello, my friends, and welcome. My name is Joe. This is The Joe Martino Show. Uh, today, I am excited to introduce you to my friend and neighbor, Ryan Kresge. He and I are going to talk about the story that runs in your head as a dad when things go wrong. I don't think a lot of people know that there's constantly a narrative running in men's head about how we're screwing up. And most of the world works hard to reinforce that narrative. Let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. So I want to introduce you to my neighbor and my friend Ryan. Ryan is uh, an executive leader of a company here in our town, uh, one of the bigger companies in his industry. He is a father of four, and he is also my neighbor. My wife found their house for them when they were thinking about moving, uh, through her wizardry that she does. Uh, the, the interview was conducted over Zoom because it was done during the time of the COVID pandemic, uh, which for all I know may well be going on when this episode gets put up. Uh, so I, if there are any quality control issues with the audio, that might be related to, to that issue. Uh, I didn't hear any major ones when I listened through it, so hopefully this is a good experience for you. One of the things that happens in our heads is we interpret things and they run in a way that is painful. And that's what this topic is about today. That's what this discussion is about. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. Let's kick it off. Okay. So I am here with Ryan Kresge, my neighbor and friend. Uh, Ryan, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Today, what we're talking about is this idea of the story that runs in our head. Ryan, you and I have talked in the past about my next book that's coming out. Uh, dealing with the story in our head and how it's always kind of running. Nothing has meaning without it. Yeah. And one of the stories that tends to run in men's head, and, and sometimes it runs in the background kind of as white noise, and, and it just kind of springs up as a monster through different events, is this, this narrative that you're not enough. No matter what you do, you're not going to be enough. You yeah. can't lead your family. You can't lead your company. You're a screw-up. And right. learning to combat that voice is one of the biggest things that I think men have to embrace um, in various ways. So one of the times I've heard you speak, you're talking about a time that you harvested a deer and you had it ready for processing. One of the ways that you feed your family, uh, you know, yeah. we, where we live, that's a very big part of our way of life. Yeah. And so I, if we could just start out, would you tell us a story about how the harvested deer that you had, how it fell? Your wife calls you and tells you what was going on. And as if I remember you sharing the story correctly, you, you said something to the effect that your brain ran to you not being able to lead your family. It was kind of attacking your ability both as a husband and a father. If you could kind of set the table for that conversation. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it was an absolutely beautiful uh, fall day in Michigan. And these are the kind of days that I, I mean, I just, my soul soaks them up. So I, I was able to get out early in bow season um, and harvesting for me, harvesting whitetail has been, uh, it, it's in my blood, it's in my heritage. So it, it, it's one of those things. 
in the fall that I just look forward to. Like there's this anticipation of delight of the serenity of the Michigan woods, the colors. Um, it, it was a fairly warm day, so I was comfortable as well. And I got out and I got in my tree and um, really wasn't, just wasn't expecting much. I didn't go into the woods expecting necessarily to take an animal that night, but just to enjoy the quiet and, and to sit for a while. And whenever that happens, I'm not as prepared as I should be. <laughs> so, so early on in this story, there's this moment where I'm kicking myself up in the tree stand because I, I had an arrow knocked, but that's all I had done. So I've been sitting there for a half hour, just taking the woods in, breathing the smell of, of the fall in the woods in and enjoying it, but not, you know, not prepared the way a hunter should be. Uh, and this, this doe, nice uh, winter ready, just, just um, delicious piece of steak came walking out in front of me and and my bow is hanging over in, in a uh, on my bow um, hook there is an arrow in it so I had done that but I'm sitting down um, I'm looking the wrong direction just everything about it was not well prepared and and the deer just is one of these I don't know what percentage of our Michigan whitetail fall into the population this IQ is just not uh, not gonna last very long but it's standing there it let me stand up it let me make noise it, it kind of looked up at me like yeah you are not a very good hunter but I'm gonna sacrifice myself for your table so I got in position uh, made a really nice lung shot on it and it ran dropped within sight but ran about 80 90 yards um, I got down, found a good blood trail, and texted my wife and just said, hey, this is a great one for our kids to be part of. Um, the, the weather's nice. They can come out. The trail's here. I know where the deer is, so I kind of, I foreknow the end of the story. I know we can find it. Kids came out and joined me, and um, even listening to them come through the woods as I'm waiting there, uh, just, you know, our house isn't that far uh, from the stand and I could hear them coming down the trail yes you know there's a deer what, what's going to be like and they're all excited it's just this beautiful family moment um, and as they came up to me and I showed them the blood trail uh, it, it was a, a really kind of a, a high moment as a father if you will a moment where I felt really good about um, doing what I was doing, succeeding at what I was doing, being enough as a dad, providing well. Um, and then, but then it quickly turned and we got to the deer. We, um, we started to field dress the animal. And as I started to, to field dress the deer with my kids, I began to, to realize just again, lack of preparation. Uh, the kids, uh, that I loved so dearly had ruined the gambrel that I use. I process my deer as well. So I not only harvest it, but I process it at home. And there's a gambrel you need, which holds, for those of you who aren't hunters, it holds the deer off the ground. Uh, predators can't get to it. The dogs, the cats can't get to it. It, it preserves the meat. 
the longer that you let it hang, there's this, this hanging period that tenderizes the meat. And that whole process uh, for me is a, is a special process, sort of a, a, a woods to table process. And I, I really care about how well it's done. And in this instance, my kids had destroyed the gambrel. So as we're, as we're gutting the deer and, and going through the process of field dressing, I'm you know, thinking about when we get up to the house, is it, is it going to, how is this hanging process going to go? Because the typical means that I use to, uh, to do that are, are destroyed. My kids have destroyed it. So we, we ended up getting the animal up to the house and um, sure enough, the kids dis disperse immediately and I'm left with, how do I hang it? I, I, I found a, a totally inferior rope in my shed, one that I knew ahead of time is kind of frayed. It, it's not the right tool for the job. Um, I got it strung up. I, I did a whole bunch of different uh, antics to get this deer where it needed to be. And eventually I got it there, but even the sweat, blood, and tears of hanging it started a, a diatribe in my head of, okay, you weren't prepared. You didn't do the things you needed to do. You aren't good at what you should be good at to make this happen. Um, as a father, you're a failure. Because now I start second guessing, like, should I have let my kids play with the gambrel? Should I have been more attentive to um, making sure things were cared for well? And that's in my personality. I, I like to take care of the tools that we use for uh, life-giving activities in our family. I like to take care of them well. And, sure. and that hadn't happened as well. So anyway, we get the deer up. It's hanging. And uh, I, I went in feeling a, a bit of foreboding. Like that just wasn't what I wanted it to be, even though the, the initial experience of the evening was good. And that the next day, fast forward 24 hours later, I got a text from my wife as I was leaving my office. And she just said, hey, we're, we're headed back in for some um, extracurricular school activities. But as I got the kids loaded up, I looked over to where the deer hangs under the lean-to and um, it's not hanging anymore. It's laying on the ground. Oh. It's, uh, it, it's in the mud. And just to kind of top it off, to end her text, she said, and I, I noticed that the dogs were over there. So I, I get in my truck to go home, which is usually a kind of a cathartic experience, or that's how I typically try to use it, uh, to just release the activities of the day. But as I'm driving, uh, th that voice starts the diatribe. And I, I'm not even, you know, I'm, I'm not home yet even. I'm not even witnessing what, what uh what i'm about to but i'm thinking you are so stupid you should not have hung that with a rope that you knew could have broken why didn't you just run into town get a different rope uh, uh the pulley system was wrong you know now this animal that matters in how you care for it is probably ruined the meat's tainted um the the blessing that it was is now destroyed and that's all on you for your uh for your failure your lack of foresight 
And I got home and I got out. And as I'm walking over to this lean-to where we had the deer, the, the dogs are on the meat. They're eating it. So just anger, you know, anger will follow for me. Um, the displeasure of the story in my head that goes back to goes back to my childhood, where a lot of what I did was not good enough um, as a as a son and as sure. a child. And so I'm I'm looking at the situation, and uh, the 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 self loathing spins out of control, man. And and you're you're really dealing with one situation, but inside you're dealing with a whole cacophony of voices that are just laying out for you other situations yeah and it, escal it escalates so quickly right it goes from this deer to you you aren't a good dad you're not a good father uh you you didn't teach your children well in this situation um you you um probably don't belong in in any leadership role for anybody else because you can't lead your own life uh who do you think you are to be a, a pastor and a teacher of people sure uh you, you can't even do this right and i mean it it honestly goes to a place where it goes from there to you probably are not going to be able to husband well so your wife's going to leave you Probably next month. She's going to leave you. Yeah, oh, maybe next week. Um, and and your kids are going to grow up to be uh, alcoholics or addicts of some kind. It just it 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 escalates into this extraordinary uh, self condemnation so fast. Right. It just kind that, of that's like a fire. Way. Yeah. Yeah. That that has the fuel of of failure just being dumped yeah. on it and that's that's what i encountered uh going over there so that's the that's the gist of the story you, you know you 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 mentioned there uh your childhood one of the things i talk to people a lot about is we blueprint our children for how they talk to themselves or hear their yeah. inner voice when they're adults which means our parents and our teachers and our coaches you know they blueprinted us and and kind of being able to take a step back and look at that blueprint is really one of the first tools in how we combat this fire that you talked about i mean you know you talk about basically let's be honest you, you certainly i mean we try to feed our family completely off of the store meat you, you know not not using store meat you know through harvesting right. it and whatnot and right. uh but if I have to, I can, right? And so you're, and I'm going to assume that's true of you and Heather as well. And so as you're, you know, you're, the dogs are having quite a meal and they're enjoying their lives. And it spins from, you know, you let your kids play with something that they broke, which kids do, to your wife's going to leave you and your kids are going to be alcoholics. That's a blueprint that can just run again and again if we don't Absolutely. kind of step back and really put down a new blueprint. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this question. How often do you find that your mind takes you to those places where that inner narrative is attacking you and your ability to live life as opposed to your inner narrative is like, Hey, you know what? I'm doing good. I got this. I'm moving forward. What, what do you think that is for you as a person who is in leadership? You do lead your organization. Yeah. 
I'll, I'll just I'll start by saying a lot more than I wish it did. And and as I, I I think as I become a better leader, a lot more than um, I ever used to believe that it did. I think in the last um, the last year or so, I've made a concerted effort to start digging into that blueprint. Uh, I, I love the way you describe that because sometimes you're mapped or you're blueprinted or you're imprinted. And if you don't ever take the time as a human being to go back through the map or the imprint that shaped and formed so much of you, 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 you don't even necessarily understand how you're acting and reacting in the present or, for, or anticipating the future without, without doing that. And so this last year or so for me, I've made an effort to be very attentive of journeying back through the, the way I was imprinted. And as I've done that, it's made me much more aware of how many uh, and how often I spend time in my head telling myself a narrative of disapproval, uh, a narrative of it's not enough. Um, and when you, a I mean, you're asking me for a how often or a, maybe a number, I would just say, you know, the majority of the time, I believe I start with a, um, a, a narrative of disapproval in my mind, as opposed to starting with an I can do this, or I'm capable of this, or this is something that is going to have a good outcome in the end, or I'm, uh, I'm the right stuff for this in the moment. I think typically at the very beginning, I start with a lot of that blueprint that was, no, you're not enough. You're not good enough. Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I talk a lot to people about the difference between listening to yourself and speaking to yourself. And, you know, you talk about that when you start out and you hear, okay, I'm not enough. Or even for me, like earlier today, you and I were Marco polling back and forth. And uh, when I got done, I'm like, oh, that was too long. I bet that annoyed him. That's taking up too much of his time. All of these mm. thoughts about how negative it was, right. rather than it's just two dudes conversing yeah. about what's going on in the world around us, about setting up time for this interview, mm. you, you know, and it, and it comes from that, uh, I think it comes from that, that blueprint of, you said it earlier, you know, what I'm doing isn't good enough. And the world around us is more than willing to tell us where we're not good enough. Even oh, people man, that, yeah. that, that, you know, and especially, I think, for people in leadership, that there is a, no matter what you do, somebody's going to complain. Uh, and, and for you, I think that's even, maybe even more dialed up because you are in uh, what I call religious leadership, right? Yeah. You, you run a church. And, and so there is this, there is, everybody has a way that you, you could do your job better. And it just trickles down to things as simple as how do I store my meat? that I'm going to using to provide for my family. There's really something that I know you and I've talked about this in the past. It's a great way for us to center our brains in the fall and winter, you know, after a long year to set up for the next year. And yet there's probably, I don't know about you, but probably daily for me, there are situations where like, oh, I could have done that better or that wasn't good enough. Or, you know, you got to kind of talk to yourself. Nope, here's the skills I have. Here's the process I have. Right. It's okay. 
yeah. and living in that pain uh, of it's okay. Or, you know, okay, I made this mistake that doesn't define everything that I'm doing. Right. So I didn't have a very good night or like for me, I know I had to come over to your house cause I didn't have any place to hang my deer. True. Yeah. You, you know, like, okay, well, what does that mean? That means that I didn't have any place. Uh, something I was thinking about when I was prepping for this interview was my driveway. Uh, oh yeah, sure. You, you know, when we were talking about my driveway, like you're like, Hey, my truck's fine. I'm like, yeah, I'm not worried about your truck. It's just embarrassing to me mm-hmm. that my driveway for the listeners who hopefully will never see my driveway. It is, <laughs> looks like a bombed road yeah. because of all the winter wet and it's yeah. dirt and we have heavy vehicles, you know, and, and the embarrassment that comes from that has to come from the story in my head. Uh, we've kind of talked about this, you know, but the, one of the questions I had is what do you feel is the source of the negative narrative for people, for yourself? You know, uh, certainly I've watched people re- react to different things differently. You know, my wife's narrative, someday I'm going to have her on this. We're going to talk about things that people have told her that shaped the narrative in her head. Where do you think the narrative comes from? That um, yeah, I'm certain it, it began as a child, uh, and, and I love my parents dearly. We've, uh, just, they're, they've been great parents. One of the things that they are incredibly insistent on is a, is a strong work ethic and excellence in your work ethic. Uh, probably the highest value I heard growing up by emphasis, if that makes sense, Maybe not by statement, but, but by the attention and the emphasis that it was given. That was the definition. It became the definition of your work. It became the, which, which became the definition of you. How, how is your pursuit of excellence? And without, you know, I know there's a lot that's, that we say about perfectionism and there's a lot in, in psychology about perfectionism and, and leadership certainly has a lot to say about that. But I'm just going to use the word excellence because that was the word that I heard over and over and over and over again. And, and so to, just to give you a, a real quick synopsis from both of my parents, uh, for, for my mom, education, intelligence. Uh, if, if I got a 98%, there was two, 2% more I could still get. Right. So, so it wasn't enough Qu- quite quite frankly, the numbers didn't line up with excellence. Excellence was 100%. Excellence was 110%. Um, and so if, if, it was, if, it was a, if it was an A or an A plus even, but not every single percentage, then you didn't leave enough out on the playing field. You, you didn't okay. get everything, everything you had. So, so there was, there's that narrative in me. And then working with my father, uh, he, he is a, a small business owner and I was um, I apprenticed with him through a lot of the years growing up and work was the, the critical, uh, definition of, of our, of our whole existence. How, how excellent is the work that you do? So the, the regular, um, narrative that I heard from him was how that work could be done better. If it, if it failed, if it wasn't good enough, then there was an intensity 
that I heard. It's, it's, it was um, awful. It wasn't good at all. There was a criticism that I heard constantly. If it was good, if I did a good job, I still didn't hear good job. I heard you could have done this, this, and this to make it the best job, to make it extraordinary. And, um, and so that coming from both sides of my heritage, and that goes, that goes generations deep. That was not just my parents. That's what my parents heard from their parents. And that's what their grandparents heard from their parents. This, this, is, a, this is something just embedded in us. And so for me, that, that lands and it becomes an imprint that whatever I do could be better. Uh, there's always the next level of excellence. And so it causes me, even when I begin something, um, it causes me to run almost a self-preserving narrative that says before I start, well, you, you're probably not going to do the, you, you're probably not going to hit this one out of the park. Uh, it'll, it'll be good. If you give it your all, it'll be good, but it's not going to be the best. And, kind of uh, like uh, we talk about functional dysfunction. A lot of things yeah. that are dysfunctional in our life, they serve a, a function of at the very least protection. Absolutely. And so at some point in your life, you develop this. Well, if I can just set myself for whatever I do, it isn't going to be quite good enough. Then I won't be as let down when my dad or my mom or my coach or my teacher or my boss points out that it wasn't quite good enough. You know, that's exactly it, Joe. That is exactly what it is. It's a, it's a functional dysfunction uh, because I can, I can preset. It's preset. I can yep. preset the expectation and then I can live to that expectation instead yep. of what you hope, which is just I'm going to give it my talent. I'm going to give it my best and, and I'm not going to obsess about it because it does not get to determine my identity. See, that's the problem. When when the when that imprint becomes so deep that my work or how I performed becomes my identity, it's crippling, and yep. uh, and that's that's how I was bent uh, very early yep. on, and so so I'm looking to derive some sort of self worth out of how well I do and and define myself by how well I do when that isn't that is in fact not the case. And it right. doesn't allow you to perform to your best. In fact, it, it hampers you or cripples you before you even get started. Right. And it's so interesting. You bring up identity. You know, so much of our identity is formed in the words in our head. Um, yes. You know, and, and certainly uh, it's also tied to our work. You know, the joke when guys get together, the first thing is, hey, how are you? Then the second question or the very latest, the third question, what do you do? How's work Always. going? Always. Yeah, always. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the things that as I look at this, this inner voice that's running in our head that we have to combat is not just our heritage, as you put it, uh, which I think is a great illustration, but also society around us is kind of geared. You're not enough unless you buy this car, drive this truck. Uh, you're not enough uh, unless you do this. You know, I mean, most of the commercials that we see, are driven towards that. And especially for men, the media's perpetration of men is that we're either bumbling idiots or we're misogynistic pigs. There's really not a lot in between there. And, and I know, you know, we both have a son. Uh, yeah. It terrifies me for my son as I'm raising him. What does it mean to be a man 
in this day and age to have a voice that runs that's accurate mm -hmm. uh, that says hey yeah. you gave it your best uh you you let your kids play which is something that they'll remember when they're 30 or 40 or 10 years after you and i are gone they broke your gambrel the dog's got a good meal and it's okay <laughs> you, you know yeah uh how, how yeah, do you see this oh go ahead well i just i just I think you're you're absolutely correct. If I think about the subculture of hunters, right? You talk about societies, um, societies statements to us, and how society speaks into that voice, usually contributing to the negative. And I I would say that's true. And inside the subsect of hunters, if you're going to have the gumption or the audacity to harvest. Uh, and then process your own meat, man, you better do it right. Uh, you, you better kind of meat eater, um, you know, Ranella style. You better, you better take care of that meat because it's, it's waste if you don't. And, um, and so I, I just see even in that example, the, the voice of society is so strong. What yeah. I have, I have an expectation to live up to according to other hunters, according to other hunters, they would then take that next step and process the meat themselves. They're not dropping it off at, at the butcher to have them process it. If you're going to do that, you better do it right. Yeah. Um, yep. Or you're I awake. Would you're awake. I'm not a real hunter because I don't process my own. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, I take it to the butcher or I love the people who are like, when they hear that I hunt, they're like, well, so do you eat the meat? And I'm always like, well, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I'm okay with it then. And I, I've never said this. I've always wanted to. And I guess I'm about to say it to everybody who listens to this show. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't remember asking if you're okay with me hunting. Right. You, you know? Yeah. Like, it's okay. My wife's okay with it. And I'm okay with it. And it is, like, really healthy for me to get yeah. out in the woods and be able – and really, you've seen where I hunt. It's not even the woods. It's a field. But to get out in the field mm -hmm. and just be able to just look at nature all day. And, yeah. and there is this thing of – it, it, it's comparative identity almost like, okay, so the guy that hunts on public land, he's not quite as much of a hunter as the guy that hunts on public land, who isn't as much of a hunter as the guy who processes his own meat, who isn't quite as much of a hunter as the guy who processes his own meat and puts it in the vacuum sealed bags. Yeah. You, you, you well, know, now, and you keep running that out. Yeah. And now you, you add that, right? So it's, it's like an additive that you throw into the cauldron that's already, that's yep. already uh, boiling or, or percolating over there. And then you throw in a comparative identity uh, from those around you in the subsect that, that matter, right? The ones that are, yep. that are also doing the same thing you are in that culture. Um, and you, you can create quite the witch's brew, man. No yeah. doubt. Let me ask you this. So, so you are a leader in your organization. Uh, you're the executive leader. How do you see this playing out in the lives of other men, your employees, specifically the men, male employees in your life? Mm -hmm. uh, how do you see this negative narrative playing out in the, in the men around you? Maybe even in your son. Uh, I know you and I talked a little bit about how he yeah. interpreted your view of his football season sure. last year. Yeah. Um, I think I think humanity is created with the idea of community, uh, which has just just tremendous 
benefit to it. Um, we are communal creatures. And so there's a very natural way that we evaluate ourselves based on the perspective of others and that we understand where we are kind of orienting ourselves in a, in the geographic region of our mind by the position of other people around us and, and by other people's commentary on us. I see in men, men that I lead, men in this organization, um, a, the, both both the positive effect of comparison and the, the negative effect of comparison. Unfortunately, I wish that it were more positive than negative, but I think the reality is that it's more often negative than it is positive. Sure. Um, compar comparison uh, tends to create a, a discontentment with who we are and a desire to be someone else. At least that's what I see uh, on our team. And I think, I think if, if it were just the good side of desiring to be better, because that's not a bad thing, improving, improvising, innovating, making, making our surroundings, our community better is not a bad thing. And sometimes we do that by looking at the people around us for how we could be better. The problem is typically it turns negative or toxic inside of our mind. And instead of comparing ourselves to be better, we compare ourselves and it's paralytic and we compare ourselves and it becomes, it becomes this, this, um, this internal acid that starts eating at the goodness of who we are and how God's made us. And, and it, and it begins to turn us against ourselves. Right. I, so, so, so I think that the problem, I want to be careful how I say this. I don't think the problem is comparing ourselves, but immediately after comparison uh, has to come a right thought about, about what we, what we're after when we, stack ourselves up against the people around us. Otherwise it just becomes jealousy. It becomes envy. It becomes this, 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 in, this just internal negativity that consumes. Right. This, this idea, that's where we talk a lot about talking to yourself and, mm -hmm. and finding the lies. You know, we, we have the four D's we call them detect what you're hearing, uh, debate what you're hearing, uh, diffuse what you're hearing, and then discover a truthful narrative. Yeah. Uh, in our society, there's a lot of pushback against that idea. And yet we have found over the years that that's one of the best paths for people to emotional wholeness and wellness. Sure. Uh, what, yeah. what, is, what are some uh, tools that you found to be especially effective in combating uh, the stories that run in people's heads or run in your own head? Or even, you know, when you're, uh, and I didn't put this in the questions um, to you and we didn't talk about whether or not your son was fair game. So if he's not, that's fine. But uh, I know Garrett um, and you were talking about his football season one time and, and how you said to him, how do you think I feel about your football season? And he really had in his head kind of a negative narrative that wasn't rooted in truth right? about how you viewed it at all because they didn't win a lot, which he's what, 13, 12. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, no, he's absolutely, yeah, he is absolutely fair game. So I would, and, and yeah, let's talk about that. Um, I, I think, I think one of the problems with comparison is it's, it's usually silent comparison. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, so what happens when I'm looking across the room at someone else, someone else's gifts, someone else's talents, and I'm wondering what they think about how I did or how I could be better. 
or or if they think I did well or if they don't. Um, what I do when I don't actually talk to them about it, when I don't walk across the room and, and make that a, a conversation, is I come up with my own assumption about that comparison. Right. And it's always, at least if it's in my brain, that's always going to be a bad thing uh, because I'll turn it negative. Whereas if I actually begin a conversation with that person, um, I, that begins to bring about what's real and what's true as opposed to just my own assumptions, my myopic, silent perspective on that comparison. Uh, so I would say one of the first things that I believe is important in undoing some of that imprinting is actually having a conversation with someone, asking someone what they think. Um, and and obviously you need to make sure that that person is trustworthy. Uh, so I, I wouldn't advocate for asking the person, the, the very same person that, that's been part of the conundrum of imprinting uh, negativity in your life. Maybe don't make them part of your board of advisors in your brain. But um, in, in those conversations with people that you do trust and look up to, make that comparison an actual conversation. And then to, to give example of that, to move to Garrett, um, his football season was uh, the epitome of a losing season, and we were about a we we're about a game game or two from it being done. When I was thinking through a lot of this conversation and getting ready to teach on it, I, I um, it just struck me how important it is that with my 12 year old son, I ask him what narrative he's forming in his mind about what I think about his season and how well he's done because of this, this danger of silence, right? This danger right. of just making up what dad thinks about my football season. And then that somehow being codified so that in 20 years, he thinks I thought his football season, seventh grade football season was a, an absolute waste. Uh, so we're driving somewhere. I don't even remember where we were driving. And it just occurred to me to ask him, just ask him, what do you think uh, dad thinks about your performance in your, your season this year? It's worth. And he said to me, uh, just, just this gut-wrenching statement. He, he said, I, I, I think you think that it's worthless. Uh, that it, it was no good and that I, um, that I did terrible. And I mean, Joe, as you can imagine as a dad, I mean, you, you're yeah. a dad, just, I, I just wanted to scream at the same time that I wanted to cry that at the same time, that simple question revealed to me that yes, the very thing I was concerned about was what was going on inside of him. And so I, I went to work, man. I, um, I spent every ounce of my uh, oratory ability to share with him what I really thought about his football season. I said, son, you gutted it out. You worked your heart out. You left everything on the field. This season, though, though a losing season, quote, unquote, from from the uh, the number of games lost, this was 
this this season was nothing short of perfection in the character that it can build inside of you as you evaluate and learn and grow through apparent failure. When everyone else says you lost, you can grow enormously. And I could not be more proud of how you stayed in it, how you endured, how you learned, how you worked, how you loved your team, how you encouraged them when things got difficult, how you kept trying and striving. I just told him, I said, I said, son, this season was perfect, was the word I wanted to use most intently to combat that idea of worthlessness to him. I said, if, if you're going to call it worthless, I call it perfect. Um, I, I think and, that's so, well, go ahead. No, I, it's, again, the, my, my objective, the heart of a father there was to right. imprint something different in the narrative he's running inside his mind. And it's so important there. I think I think you really illustrate that point there of when when it comes to this inner narrative that runs in our brain, we have in fact I just I just wrote down the sentence, I went to work. It's work. And 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 as fathers, I think we're we're especially vulnerable to it. And that makes our children vulnerable to it because we're shaping their inner narrative. And so we have to go to work to combat the voice in our head, and, and that will teach them how to combat the voice in their head. You know, earlier you, you talked about, you know, the formation of your inner voice. You talked about how a lot of it was formed, not necessarily by words. Like, like you were told, Hey, yeah, that was good. Or you're enough. But then when you did it, it wasn't enough. The action didn't compete with the words. And that's right. that, that skill that I think is so important when we're combating the negative voice in our head, it's, it's really going after, okay, what is the truth? Where are the things? Okay, yeah, we lost, but what are the things that we're actually pursuing? Because the reality is, you know, no, no, I don't even, most people don't even know who won the Super Bowl six years ago, unless it was their team, they were there, or something like that. Let alone, yeah, I'll just, be, I'll just be vulnerable and tell you, I couldn't tell you who won the Super Bowl six years ago. <laughs> right, yeah, I couldn't either. Let alone who, what the seventh grade Lowell football team's record was six years ago. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, exactly. Yeah. and that's a really hard truth to, I think for, especially for young men to embrace because so much of the culture is you win or you lose and that identifies you. Yeah. You know, yeah. Ryan, I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to come on the show today. Is there anything you want to say maybe to men who are struggling with this inner narrative that we haven't covered today, anything you want to say that I didn't touch on? Well, I think you touched on it um, just here briefly, but I would, I would end with that and just say it's work. It, it, it is work, but it is work that is worth it. Um, it, it is more critical uh, than, than many of the battles you fight um, that this ground be won back. And that, that, that perspective on yourself that you can't do it or you're not enough uh, or that, you, um, that you're worthless be an area that you recognize, that you, um, that you actually begin to dig up, to exhume, to look at it, to, to have space in your life to, to take that on head on and begin to take steps uh, to undo 
what was done to you in that right. area in order that you can um, overcome it. And when you overcome it, such life and such goodness will be available to your kids, to, you, to, to your spouse, uh, to the, the people that you lead. When you start to live out of a belief that, that, that you are shaped and formed for the moment, that you can step into that moment and that you matter when you step on that field because you have something to offer. When you start doing that, the people around you will be able to grow. They'll be able to follow better. They'll be able to see themselves rightly as they look at you in that social mirror that we talk about. So right. it is work. It's work that's worth it. Don't, don't let this... Don't let this toxicity just sit there and hope you can contain it. See, that, that won't do it. You actually have to get into it and begin to, to empty it so something else can fill that space of, of uh, death with life. Right. That's so true. It's so many people get caught in like, well, this is just the way it is. And, and you know, they, they, they feel like because it is, it's a victory to get to the place where you can recognize it. But then just recognizing it, you're, you're halfway home. You, the rest right. of the trip is what does it mean to combat it and fight it and understand that you have something to give to the world that nobody else does because you're you. Yes. You, yes. you know, and, and I, I tell couples all the time, if you both were exactly alike, one of you is not necessary. One of the things that makes relationships so beautiful is that we are all different. We all bring different strengths and weaknesses and even brokenness and wholeness to the equation. So uh, it makes relationships so beautiful and fun and at the same time painful. Ryan, I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, privilege. All right, my friends, there you have it. Uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. I uh, do want to let you know that if you are struggling with this narrative in my head that I just don't have what it takes, uh, I'm not a man, I'm not whatever that means, I want you to know that we are working on a curriculum, a mentorship program for males uh, that I am hoping will launch in early 2021. Also, I am working on my next book, the uh, Dealing with the Story in Our Head, currently called Taming the Tempest, Dealing with the Story in Our Head, Letting Go of What We're Afraid We Are to Be, What We Actually Were Created to Be. So that's coming soon as well. If you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends. Share it via social media. That is the best form of entertainment or of, of advertising that I can get. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.